Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. We invite the ministry of the Holy Spirit to teach us, to lead us, to guide us into all truth, and to enlarge our capacity to receive revelation, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and ability of all things that pertain to life and also to godliness. As an act of our will, we are attentive, our hearts are receptive, our minds are open, we will not be distracted. We shall gain knowledge that will make us free, and we shall walk in the light thereof. I personally thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost to proclaim truth boldly in demonstration of the spirit of power that our faith would stand not in men's wisdom or human philosophy, but in the power of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. Every single one of us is at a different level of, of Christian experience. We are at different places in our Christian walk, different levels of growth and development. So it's obvious that when we preach and teach the Word of God, we'll be affected in different ways. Recently, I've been talking about being revived or experiencing a revival, which means nothing more than just having a renewed interest in something. Well, if you're sitting out there and you just got born again, you just got saved, just became a child of God, obviously it's not a renewed interest, is it? But if you've been out there for about 50 years, serving God for about 50 years, you've been walking with Him for 50 years, maybe there's some things you have to have renewed. Now, you've learned those truths, you've walked in those truths, and maybe you've let them slip. No matter who we are, we're not exempt from that. We've let some things slip in our Christian experience. And as a consequence, we need revived. That means a renewed interest in those things, such as, let's say, healing. Maybe at one time you believed God for your healing. You walked with Him intimately, closely in fellowship, and you experienced healing by the power of His might. But as years you know, went by, maybe things happened. Maybe your pursuits changed or whatever. And you've not put forth the effort and the energy that was needed to walk in the light of that truth. And as a consequence, maybe you've had to turn to other means of help. Well, I'm here to encourage us this morning to have our interest renewed in these things. And if you're out there in that condition, then, you know, be revived. Give attention once again. Renewed attention to those truths that you walked in at one time. But it doesn't matter whether or not you're a born-again child of God, you know, as of lately or just, just recently been born again. Or if you've been out there for 50 years serving God, it doesn't matter because what others need to be revived in... Or, once again, to give renewed interest to, as a young babe in Christ, you have to be interested in. And you have to pursue those same truths. The gospel does not change. Jesus does not change. God the Father does not change. Man changes in his heart attitude towards the things of God, either for the better or for the worse. So we're not going to give you something that's brand new. Something that I've never heard before. Unless you're just a brand new child of God. You've just been blood washed recently. And of course, you've not learned these truths. 
So it doesn't matter where you're at as far as the spectrum is concerned. It'll be a blessing to you. And you can gain by the knowledge. So what I want to do is to continue along those lines. First of all, by sharing some important truths that we should have learned over the years. And as I said, if you're just saved, these are truths that you need to be interested in. That you have to learn and take to heart so that your spiritual growth will not be impaired. Truth number one. When you became a child of God, blood washed, born of the Spirit, God Almighty became your Father. Your Heavenly Father. He's not just God to you. He is your Heavenly Father. And as your Heavenly Father, He loves you. He cares for you. And He is concerned about every aspect of your life. You are an heir of God. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You are a part of the royal family of God. You hold a special place in the Father's heart because of your your new birth. Because you have accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord, all these things belong to you. Not because you've earned them, but because Jesus obtained them for you when He died for you on the cross. When He was raised up from the dead for our justification, we were raised up with Him to the newness of life, And He made us heirs of God. He made us joint heirs with Himself. He made us kings. He made us priests. We are part of the royal family of the living God. Let's not forget those truths. Let's not forget that we are a part of the royal family. Let's not forget all that it means to each and every one of us. Because it is an important truth. The Father loves each and every one of us equally. He is concerned about every phase and aspect of each of our lives. See, sometimes we lose sight of that and we fail to recognize that He is right there by our side no matter what we are facing. He's concerned about us spiritually, yes. And for the most part, that's where many think it ends. He's just concerned about our spiritual condition and what we are doing as far as, quote-unquote, religion is concerned. But, beloved, that's not the entire truth. He is concerned about us in spirit, our spiritual condition. He is concerned about us in soul, our emotional makeup. He is concerned about our physical well-being. He's concerned about our financial status. He is concerned about our marital relationship. He's concerned about our family unit. And if you are out there in business, He is concerned about your business. You're not in business alone. He is right there by your side working with you. He is concerned about what you're concerned about and what you're involved in. And when you're out there on the job, He is concerned about you. And when you're over there in the house doing your household duties and responsibilities, He is concerned about you. He is right there with you. He is concerned about every phase and aspect of our lives. And wants to be a part of our lives. If you're out there in school, He is concerned about you, what you are doing with your time, what you are learning, what you're putting into your mind, because He's concerned about your your soulless condition also. If you're out there in college, He is concerned about you. He's concerned about what you're studying. He's concerned about what you're doing with your life, how you're being shaped, molded, and formed, because He made you 
and He has a lot for you in this realm of life. Let's not forget these things. Don't think you're out there alone. A lot of young people commit suicide. They take their own lives because they think their lives are without value and without meaning and without, their, without purpose. Why am I here? If they only had the knowledge of the truth, that knowledge would make them free. You are here because God loves you. You are here because He has given you an allotted period of time in which to determine your eternal destiny. Don't let the forces of opposition deceive you into thinking that once this life ends on earth, it's all over. Because it's not all over. This is but a short period of time that will determine our, des our eternal destiny. And what we do throughout the eternal ages. And where we reside throughout the eternal ages. These are truths that we are to hold dear to our hearts. Another truth is, not only that He loves us and He cares about us, He's concerned about every phase and aspect of our lives, is that He has already pre-planned and made provisions for our success. That's the way God, our Father, operates. He has already pre-planned our success. He has already made provisions for our success because that's the way He is. Go to the beginning when He created the world. You notice before he put man here upon this earth, he put in all the resources that man would need to be successful in life and to survive in this realm of life. Everything was already created there and placed there for man and for his good. And then he made man. So all that he did for man, he did before he made man to ensure man's success. Well, beloved, when he sent Jesus to die for us, and set in motion the New Testament, He already pre-planned our complete success. Made provisions for all that we would need to be successful here upon this earth. And all we need to do is to recognize that truth and then begin to pursue what He has done for us. And experience it in life. Now, you say, well, what about me? I'm a single person. Well, it doesn't matter. If you're single, it doesn't matter if you're married. He said, what about me? I've been divorced. Doesn't that mean I'm disqualified from anything that God would have to, to really bless me in life? No, you're not disqualified. The good thing about God, the great thing about God our Father is His heart of mercy and love. It doesn't matter what we've experienced in life and all the tragedies and all the heartaches and misery that we've ever encountered in life. When He finds you, you could be in the deepest pit. He'll pick you up and put you on solid ground. You know what a new creation is? It's a new species of being that never before existed. And you know, sometimes we've not viewed it that way. At the moment of regeneration, when you were born again or recreated by the Spirit of God through the Word of God, you know what happened? Your past was totally wiped out. That's what remission means. Non-existent. In the mind of God, it's as if, didn't, it's as if we didn't exist before that. He takes our entire past and just wipes our slate totally clean. There is an absolute rebirth. Like a newborn babe being born into the world has no past. Our past has been remitted. It's all gone. It's in the sea of forgetfulness. Brand new life. Brand new start. Pure and holy and spotless and blameless. This is the kind of God that we serve. This is the kind of Father He is. When He gives birth to us... He makes us new creatures or new creations, a new species of being that never before existed. 
We are a special breed, aren't we? A new breed. A new type of people upon this earth. A blood-washed people. A blood-bought people. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. And although, although our sins, no matter how terrible they may have been, He's made us now white as snow and pure before Him. So it doesn't matter what your status is. If you're young, if you're old, it doesn't matter. He's already made provisions for your success. It's already been pre-planned. Godliness is profitable for the life that now is and also for the life that is to come. So He's concerned about us in our entire lives and He desires our success. Another truth is whether or not we experience the best that God has for us in life, for the most part, is determined by us more so than by God. Whether or not we, as children of God, experience the best, now notice I said the best, that God has for us in life is more determined by us. It depends on what we do more than on what God does. Now, some might say that's hard for me to understand. But I want you to see it this way. If God has already pre-planned and made provisions for our complete and total success, He's already done His part. What's left to do is for the individual to enter into what God has already pre-planned and provided. If we'll do that and apply ourselves diligently to it, then we will begin to experience the best that God has for us in life. If we don't apply ourselves to it, then, of course, we can't expect to experience the best that God has for us. It doesn't just automatically happen because we've become children of God. It happens because we put forth the energy necessary to attain to God's best in life. Now, let me qualify that. Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 23, a familiar text says, All things are possible to him that what? Believeth. Jesus did not just say all things are possible. He qualified it by saying all things are possible to him that believeth. That infers that to him that believeth not, all things are not possible. But to him that believeth, all things are possible. And what he reveals in that text is this. We have a divine potential. God has provided great and glorious things for us. Something we should be, distri- should be striving for. And we call it our divine potential. And it should be way up here. And as far as I'm concerned, we should preach it from behind our pulpits as being way up here. This is the best that God has to offer, and we should preach what His best is. And then let the people know that it's up to them, it's up to us to strive for the best that God has. But of course, to give information and understanding concerning how to attain to it is also very important. Because if we just give the people God's best and don't let them know what is His good and acceptable, then along the way, many can become discouraged, lose their spiritual initiative, and think that this isn't true. 
it can't be true because God said I should have all this, but I'm not having it in my life. Something is wrong. Well, may I ask you a question? Was Jesus mocking us when he said all things are possible to him that believeth? Or was he speaking truth? He was speaking truth. He revealed divine potential. He told that man, you're looking to others to get your need met. But he says, I'm telling you that all things are possible to him that believeth. What will determine whether or not you receive all things that are possible will be according to the energy that you put forth to attain to your divine potential. Now, in this scripture, I want us to see the good, the acceptable, and perfect will of God. And I want to explain it. What I want to call this message is striving for God's best. Because I believe we need to have a revival in this area. I believe that many have been overcome by forces of opposition and they've experienced different kinds of heartache and misery. And as a result, they've lost sight of experiencing God's best in life. And so all they're doing is just sitting back in that hurt and just going on with God. But they're not really growing in God. They've lost that initiative to really exert themselves when it comes to striving for God's best. Notice in the text, we are told to do something. Beginning in verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you... Notice again. You, you, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your... Notice that's not talking about God. That's talking about us. It's our reasonable or spiritual service. We must do something with our bodies because our bodies do not want to promote spiritual growth and development. Our bodies really don't even like putting forth the energy that is necessary for us to be successful in this realm of life. What body likes to get up early in the morning to ensure success for the day? What body likes to do a lot of hard work and hard labor constantly and continuously every day? Day in and day out, day in and day out. But see, we are motivated or driven by something else, a different type of force from within. If we want bread on the table, if we want security, then we better get up in the morning and we better go to work. And apply ourselves because if we don't, paychecks don't automatically come. Have you tried that? You notice that when you don't go to work that day, you don't get paid. If you don't work, you don't eat. We've got to apply ourselves even in these areas. We have to be responsible in these areas to benefit from what we're doing. Well, the same thing is true with God. We can't set Him on a shelf, His Word on a shelf, His Spirit on a shelf, and expect all these glorious things just to fall upon us like ripe cherries off of a tree. That doesn't happen. We must do something with our bodies, He is saying. It's our responsibility to do something with our bodies, to present them to God, to consecrate them to God, to do service for God. It's our duty to do that, because if I don't do it, Who will do it for me? If you don't do it, who will do it for you? Your body is 
hindering you. My body is hindering me from experiencing God's best. Have you ever viewed it that way before? Our bodies are not in agreement with spiritual things because they've not been changed yet. The biggest opposition that we have and that we face is not the devil itself. I just can't do this. I just can't do that. I don't know if I can handle that. I just don't. I want to, but I just can't seem to. So we've got to do something with the body. Another thing. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may... Now notice... That you may prove. Again, he's telling the individual to do something with the mind. The mind, even after regeneration, is not renewed. It's not brought back to a place of knowing God intimately, automatically. When man fell from the presence of God, his mental faculties were affected. And I still hold to the fact that I believe 90% of the knowledge that he does not use, he once had, was knowledge of God. And when he lost all that spiritual understanding and knowledge of the spirit world and how spiritual things operate, he became dependent upon his own senses. His mind was darkened. And so he had to trust his five physical senses just to survive. And so what he thinks is ultimate reality is not. This world is not ultimate reality. It's reality, but of a lower form. Ultimate reality is the spirit realm that brought this world into being. But man lost sight of that. So we're not restored automatically. Our minds are not renewed automatically. One must study the Word of God to have his mind renewed, to understand the ways of God. And you say, well, why do I have to do this? Why do I need to go to church to learn the Word of God and and study the Bible and all that? It sounds so religious and so boring. I've got some news for all of us. Whether or not we like it, one day we are going to leave this body behind. We're going to enter into the spirit realm. And if we know nothing about it, we're at a complete disadvantage. Don't get caught out of your body without Jesus in your heart. Amen is right. You won't like the end result. So we must renew our minds. Our minds are not automatically renewed. That requires effort on our part. Well, what will happen then if I do something with my body that doesn't want to serve God? If I do something, you know, it's so hard to study. I mean, think about it. From the moment you're born, people are starting to tell you things. Talking to you about what to say and how to say it. What you should do, what you shouldn't do. And you go from mama, dada, and all that stuff to, you know, take the garbage out. <laughs> Learn how to do this right. Learn how to do that right. You need to be in school. I'm tired of school. I'm in the third grade already. <laughs> I've been doing this for two years. Except me to go a third. Well, I'm sorry, son, if you don't like school now, wait till the fourth and fifth grade. You're in for a big education. And after ninth grade and tenth grade, their God will twelfth ever come. 
And then you find out once you graduate high school, you thought it was all over. Wake up. Let's get real. You can't even get a good job anymore. Right? So you find out your life is one of endless learning. But beloved, here's the point. Do we want to continue on learning about things that do not give us profit or benefit in the spiritual life? We're going to live in that life a whole lot longer than we live in this realm of life. If we're taking this lightly, we are going to be sorely disappointed at that time that we leave this realm of life. Because we're not going to have the rewards that God wanted us to have. So we must renew our minds and we must settle ourselves down realizing this life is one big time of learning. Continued Experience of learning constantly because we are learning about the Almighty God. And you know what? Our brains can only hold so much at a time. We can only learn so much at a time. And every year in Christ should be a year of more and more and more. And that's what the writer of Proverbs said, meant when he said, The path of the righteous is as the shining light that shines brighter and brighter more and more into the perfect day. It's one year after another, just like first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade. But see, the problem with spiritual learning is this. If you don't apply yourself, you can go year by year by year by year by year, but really never gain insight and understanding and intimacy of fellowship in that type of knowledge. One must apply himself, herself, humble himself, herself before God and say, enlarge my capacity because I want to know you intimately. I want to walk with you intimately. I want to prove, look at the next part of that verse, the good, acceptable, and perfect will that you have for my life. Notice that whether or not we prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God is determined by us. In other words, God did it all, but He says now it's up to you to learn about it and walk in light of it. Is He saying that because He's so mean? No, He's saying that because we fell, Adam blew it, he missed the mark, he fell, his brain got damaged... See that brain damage? He left us in the same stupor, same state of mind. Don't have the knowledge of God. And so now we have got to struggle to get a hold of it and learn about it. Man was made in a perfect state, but he fell to an imperfect state. And now in Christ, our spirit man has been recreated in a perfect state. But our souls have got to be renewed. Our bodies have got to be changed. And that's not going to happen unless we do something about it. And he says here, so that we can prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. In other words, God has a best. We could say good, better, and best. Good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Good, better, and best. How many of you want God's best? Certainly we want God's best. But by making that statement, by affirming that you want God's best, what you're also doing is saying, you want to work harder. You want to study more. You want to pray more. Hmm. Yes, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, graduate high school, college, 
and go on and on and on. Hold that thought here in Romans chapter 12 and turn to Mark's gospel chapter 4 and verse, well it's 14 through 20, but look at verse 20. God gives us our divine potential, but we must believe it and strive to attain to it. That responsibility falls on us. God makes provisions, pre-plans our success, offers His best, but says we must believe for it and strive to attain to it. Now, that is our responsibility. To show you that Jesus taught the same truth before the Apostle Paul did, look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 4 and verse 20. And these are they which are sown on good ground. Now, he's talking about the seed of God's Word Entering into a heart of the individual, producing fruit, or causing a person to be productive in life, successful in life, attaining to or achieving what God has. In other words, God's provisions are being made manifest in that person's life to a certain degree. And he says this, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold Good. Some sixtyfold acceptable. Some a hundredfold perfect. Will of God. Some thirty good. Sixty acceptable. And then a hundredfold. God's perfect will for our lives. Now notice this. If I only produce thirtyfold, Whose fault is that? If that's all that I want and I'm satisfied with 30-fold, then I'll walk in 30-fold. But you know what? If I say I'm not satisfied with just experiencing the good will of God for my life, I want to move on to the acceptable. I want better than that. Then what do I have to do? I have to apply myself to learning. I have to apply myself to prayer. I have to apply myself to being diligent in the Word. And if I'll do that, then I'll move on to the 60-fold. And if I'll continue, if I'm not satisfied at that, then I'll press on and move into the realm of 100-fold. Where I'm operating in 100-fold of the things of God in areas of my life. In some areas you may be at 60-fold right now, and some other areas 30-fold. In other areas you may be walking in 100-fold. Praise God for that. But you want other areas also to catch up to that. But I pointed that out to say this. Whose responsibility is it? Was it the seed that changed? He said no. It was the condition of the heart, the soil of the heart. If I want to move on to 60-fold, then something must take place inside me. Some changes or adjustments must take place inside me so that the Word is that much more productive in my life. See, it depends upon the condition of my heart, my motives, my attitude, my understanding, my learning, the, the, the learning process, the renewing of my mind, the pre presenting of my body and consecrating it to the Father God. It's my attitude toward the things of God. My diligence. If I want a hundredfold, I must apply myself in a greater way. 
Now, that's exactly what Paul was saying. He said, we've got to do something with our bodies. We've got to do something with our souls. Why? So that we can prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God for our lives. Now, what I want us to do in explanation of this is maybe take some notes here. Write some of these things down. I passed a chart out. This was years ago. But I'm just going to refer to it and just give you some of the detailed information about it. Concerning the good, perfect, and acceptable and perfect will of God for our lives, let's just explain it like this. So that we can remove all the guilt and condemnation that people experience and that the devil uses because, well, you're not walking in a hundredfold in that. You're not experiencing God's best in that area of your life. And so people get guilty. They get under condemnation. And they may be a young person in the Lord. And really, God the Father doesn't even expect them to walk in the fullness of that yet. And yet, we expect that of them. And so they have guilt and condemnation. And as a result, their spiritual condition is impaired. Their growth is impaired. They can't grow in the things of God because they're so guilty before God. Let's look at it this way. Before we start with the good chart, the good, the better, and the best that God has for us, let's start with the not so good. Not good at all. Number one, would you agree with me it's not good to be a non-Christian? Because a non-Christian is not certain of his eternal destiny. And so, in a sense, we can say that's not good. I look back upon the years of life that I had before accepting Christ as Savior and Lord, and I always think about this. Dear God, what if I'd have died then? Thank God for His mercy. Thank God for His mercy a thousand times. Thank God for His mercy that He was patient with me in that condition. It's not good to be in that condition because if you lose your life at that time, you're not certain of your eternal destiny, beloved. You can be doomed to damnation. All right, but we'll go on to say, what is the good will of God? It's good to be a Christian. It's good to accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. You are a child of the Most High. That will classify as being good. But you know what's better than that? Getting Spirit-filled. It's better to be a Spirit-filled Christian. It's better for a person to be a Spirit-filled Christian. Full of faith and power. With evidence of the Spirit. Speaking with other tongues. See, God has more for us. Let's not stop just at the good. It's good. Because we know our eternal destiny is secure. We're on our way to heaven. But it's a whole lot better to be a Spirit-filled believer. But you know what God's best is? For us to become mature, Spirit-filled believers... Who walk in the character of God and also have the operation of the gifts of the Spirit in manifestation. It's best that every child of God attain to that. We are continually growing in Christ. We are Spirit-filled. The gifts of the Spirit are in operation. The Word of God is alive within us. The character of God is being made manifest through our lives. That is something that we are to strive for and believe God for and to attain to. That we can boldly say our lives are continual pageants of triumph, diffusing the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere I go. Now, just because you haven't attained to that as of yet, it does not mean you are an inferior Christian. And one who's been in a faith, let's say for 50 years, let's say who has attained to that, can't look down upon you. There you are, a three-year-old Christian. And you know what? You're still having a hard time understanding what the nine gifts of the Spirit are, let alone walking in them or operating in any of them. 
And so we shouldn't view things that way. Just as we don't look down upon a first grader, if you're in 10th grade, and say, why don't you know that? Why aren't you experiencing that? Why can't you understand this? They're not at that level yet. They're not at that place yet. Same thing is true here. In Christianity, the same is true. We must grow into those things. Just because we haven't attained to it is not evidence of the fact that we're a lesser Christian than another person. It just means that we have got to grow and develop. And so we don't look down upon somebody just because, well, here they are. They don't speak with other tongues. They're not spirit-filled. And like so many do, look down upon them for that. Don't look down upon somebody for that. Thank God that they're born again, washed in the blood, and your brother or sister in the Lord. And you know what? Walk in love and, and begin to reveal to them that there's more. That's good, but God has better and best. Move on to that. His good, acceptable, and perfect will. Let's use something else as an example. Sickness and disease in the life of a non-believer, of course, is classified as not good in anyone's life. Sickness and disease is just horrible. It's horrendous. We don't have anything to do with it. Can I hear an amen to that? Anybody like to be sick, have an incurable disease in your body? No one likes that. But in a Christian's life, and please listen carefully. If a person just uses nature, naturalists, good eating habits, believing that they can be healthy by by good dieting and, and all that, thank God for that. But there also may be others out there that they need the help of medical science. I've seen in, in our circles where people have put others down for using an aspirin. Do you know I've never done that? I've never done that as being a born-again believer. I've never looked down upon somebody or criticized somebody for using an aspirin or whatever medication they needed. Because it's good to be healed. It's good to be free from pain. Is it not? I mean, I've been on both sides. It's good to be free from pain. So if a person needs medical science, if a person applies themselves in other ways or other areas to maintain health, to be healed, that's great and that's good. But now listen, God has something better. He has something better. Jesus is also God's way. Now listen, God's way of healing and providing divine health. It's better to receive healing directly from the Lord. It's a whole lot better that way. First of all, it's cheaper. You ever try to go to pay for that, all that? It's very expensive. Jesus paid the price and we got it free. It's a whole lot cheaper. Ready for this one? It's a whole lot more painless. I mean, if you didn't sometimes go there in pain, you may leave in pain. I mean, think about it. That needle was that long. Harpooned you. Didn't know how it even stayed in your body. You thought it would come out the other end. Out the other side. All that stuff's not fun, is it? Absolutely not. But it's better to go to God. It's better to learn about divine healing and health. That's not to say just because you've been healed and delivered by the power of God alone, you should look down upon somebody for using an aspirin. I always say this. Let's just encourage each other to go from 30 to 60 to a hundredfold. And you know what a hundredfold is? Divine life. 
walking in divine health. And we've heard of those that have attained to that, have they not? Absolutely. And so that's great, that's wonderful. Don't knock somebody for wanting to attain to that. But then don't knock somebody for having to use an aspirin. No matter where we're at in our level of faith, don't criticize one another, don't judge one another. Be of a loving spirit, be of a kind spirit, be of an encouraging spirit and encourage people, sharing with them vital information to help them along the way. Why? Because we all need to know this. That when it comes to incurable diseases, man's never going to put an end to any of it. The devil will always make up another one. To remedy the situations, we must learn God's way and method. And so, beloved, let's encourage one another to grow in faith. And let's not discourage one another by criticizing and putting people down. Because what ends up happening is we discourage them. And they don't want to go on any further. Now, now attending to divine health and divine life in a lot, is not easy in any person's life. It's a constant struggle and striving against forces of opposition. So, God's best would be to attain to divine life. And are you striving for that? Are you believe in God for that? Well, then thank God. I encourage you to continue on doing so. Let's look at another one. Death for a non-Christian, is that good? No, that's classified as being not good. That's not good. But what is good is if a child of God even dies from a sickness, what is good about it, thank God Almighty, that child of God has entered into the presence of God. So let's not look at that person and say, oh, they died, they had no faith. No. That is an improper attitude of heart. That person knows God. And thank God for that. And even if they didn't believe in divine healing, it's still good that they're in heaven, isn't it? But now listen to this. It's better, and this has to be heard, beloved. It's better for that same believer to learn truth. And even if he dies... From a sickness or disease in his or her body. Listen. It's better for them to die with a good testimony. I want to explain that. Not everybody that goes to the Raymond Bible Training Center's healing school walks away healed. Sometimes I think people have this in their thinking. I'll just go there and I'll be healed. Well, that's great. You need to believe God for it. But that's not always the case. I've heard even instructors there talk about the patients that have come in and they've said this. There are those who have come with advanced cases of diseases in their body and they knew they had a short time to live. While they were there, they learned the knowledge of the truth. When they learned the knowledge of the truth, they knew in themselves that they didn't have enough time to apply those principles because the disease was so far advanced. They knew they were going to die. But you know what they did? And not only did they know, the instructors knew. They knew that they would not be healed. But this is what they did. They died with a good testimony. They said, you know what? It's the will of God that we be healthy. They told people around, instead of telling people around them the opposite, this is the will of God that I die, and all 
they died with a good testimony. They said, look, maybe I, and this is such good thinking, maybe I didn't apply myself early enough in my life, or while I was a believer, maybe I didn't gain this knowledge and insight that I should have gained when I was a younger Christian. But you know what? You have it available to you. Told their family members, I'm going to depart and be with Jesus, which is still far better. But I'm telling you, learn about the truth of God's Word. This is not the will of God. This is the best that God has. We should all strive to attain to it. But, even though it may be too late for me right now, it's not too late for you. And they had a good testimony of faith and not fear. And they gave truth and not lies. And that encouraged others to attain to God's best. Now, what's best is, of course... And when we say this once again, so often many get a misunderstanding of what's being said. It's best to die in a ripe old age with a healthy body serving God and then just departing without sickness or disease in the body. I mean, can I hear at least an amen to that? Now, right away, you'll get all kinds of opposition. Well, so-and-so didn't attain to that and -and so-and-so didn't attain to that. It's not based on whether or not anybody attained to it. How many of you know the truth is not based on what we attain to? How many know the truth is based on what God reveals as truth? And if Jesus said, all things are possible to him that believeth, then what are we to believe? All things are possible to him that believeth. No buts, no accepts. All things are possible to him that believeth. See, we must attain to that. We must strive for that. That's something that we must do. We don't look down... On on anyone. And of course, we don't exalt any circumstance above the Word of God either. It works both ways. If that's what God said, it's what I can attain to. But it's up to me. It's up to me. So God's best would be that we live to be a ripe old age and then depart from this realm of life without sickness or disease. Someone said it this way, then how would you die? It's called natural causes. It's called an Enoch departure. An Elijah whirlwind. That's what it's called. Taking off to the other side. A departure. When it comes to giving of our finances, it's not good to be a non-Christian and don't give to support the work of God. That's, That's not good. But what is good is to tithe. It is good to give to the work of God. What's better is to be a tither and one who gives offerings. That's better. What is best is to give not only of our tithes and offerings, but also to reach down to the poor and needy And help them in their lives to have a better life. That's what's best. So that we give to the Lord what is His. We provide offerings to help even others that are involved in the work of the Lord. And also we give to the poor and needy to help them in their dilemma. That's what's best. And there are those that complain about tithing. But see, if we want to walk in God's best for our lives, then then this is what we should strive to attain to. And I'm not saying that it's easy to do that. 
You know, there are those that always say, well, it's, it's hard for me to tithe. You're the only one that it's hard to tithe, right? You're the only one. I've got news. It's hard for everyone. When they first come to Christ to begin tithing, if they've never done that. It's not easy for anyone. No matter how much income you have, it's still 10% of that income going in a different direction. But I'm telling you something right now. It'd be the best thing you ever did to begin to support the work of God here upon this earth. What about marriage? It's not good to be alone. God said that Himself. What's good is to find a perfect helpmate that is a believer. What's better is to be spirit-filled believers coming together to serve God. And what's best is to both pursue the perfect plan, purpose, and will of God for their lives together as a social unit under God to make an impact upon this society for Jesus Christ, to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, to, to, to demonstrate the power of God, and to lead others into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. All that is best. And God wants us all to attain to that. And we can go on. When it comes to church attendance, it's not good. Not to go to church and, and, and not to be in any type of fellowship. It's, it's good to participate in a fellowship where even if it's a denominational church where people are preaching just being born again. That's still good. And don't look down upon anyone. As long as they're preaching Jesus Christ crucified and His blood shed for the remission of sins, that's good. Attend church regularly. What's better is to attend a Spirit-filled church. Because you'll experience more of the operational power of God. There's more of God to have. So you're attaining to more. Do you see that? What's best is to worship and fellowship in a spirit-filled church on a regular basis. Where you become actively involved because the word is going forth. The power of the spirit is there. The influence is there of the spirit. And it's all working together to promote the kingdom of God here upon this earth. That's what's best. We don't look down upon anybody who's in that denominational church. All we do is just share truth. And if they want to move from 30 to 60, then what? Praise God. You can have more of God. It's up to the individual. And that's why we don't criticize. It's up to them. They have a will. Prove the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. When you start preaching God's best, beloved, you know what the problem is? Most have never heard it. And so many have never heard it. And as a result, when you preach it, they think it's heresy. Oh, who can believe that germs can die on your body on contact? Never heard that. Yeah, I know. That's the problem. But, beloved, what God says is, is. And if all things are possible to him that believeth, then that's true. And if we could be of a ripe old age, full of sap, spiritual virtue and vitality, and a ripe old age serving God and producing fruit in Psalms 92, if God said that, is it attainable? Can we attain to that? Absolutely we can. But the thing is, we must have renewed interest in striving for what God has revealed to us as being His best for our lives and not coming at a standstill because of the setbacks that we've experienced in life. Strive to achieve or attain to God's best in life. Look at this scripture here in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And the Apostle Paul makes a statement here concerning or regarding his own life. And this is what he says in Philippians chapter 3. 
In verse 10, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable to his death, that by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I've already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after, if that I may, be, may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. What he was saying was, I have a divine potential that I want to attain to. I have a goal that I'm striving for, that I desire to experience in life. Not all believers have it, but I have it. And I'm encouraging you Philippians to have the same mind that I have. Don't be satisfied with where you're at. Realize that even though I've not attained to it yet, it is attainable. You can attain to that. You can have this kind of life. You can have the life of Christ made manifest even in your mortal flesh. That is attainable. You can attain to that. Now, I've not attained to it yet, he said, but I'm pressing. You see, what happens, is, beloved, is what we do in our mentality. We say, well, if the Apostle Paul couldn't do it, then I might as well just throw in the towel. That's real good mentality. You mean he is somebody more special than anybody else? His revelations have nothing to do with his spiritual attainment. Did you know that? Revelations are something totally different. He had to apply himself like I have to apply myself. Anybody else has to apply himself or herself to attain to the things he was talking about. He doesn't have a free something, a free ride to spiritual maturity. He doesn't have that. He didn't have that. You know why? Because he went on to say that, look, if you don't have this mind, speak to God about it. He'll make sure you have the same mind. He'll make sure that this is the right thinking that you should have in your life, too. He'll, he'll reveal that to you. So he wasn't saying that I've got something you can't have. He was saying, I have set my sights and my goals up high. I'm looking to attain what is God's best for my life. I'm not satisfied being uh, operating in 30-fold. I want to be satisfied operating in 60-fold. He said, my desire, beloved, my desire, you Philippians, is to, to operate in a hundredfold. And so I am pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm encouraging all of you to join with me. Come on. Let's all strive for the same. But once again... God's best, and another truth, make note of it, is only attained or achieved through personal faith in God. It's only achieved or attained through personal faith. And the biggest hindrance we have to, to that is having an improper concept of the Father God, of His Father heart, and having misconceived ideas about His care, His love and concern for our lives. If we attain to it by faith, then having an improper concept of, of the fatherhood of God impairs us spiritually. It hinders our faith life. Faith is based on information. And if we've been misinformed concerning the Father, then, beloved, what ends up happening is our faith is weakened. And when our faith is weakened... We can attain to God's best. Example, if you've been taught that all things work together for good, including accidents and including broken legs and all that, and even sickness in your body is, is working together for your good, if we've been taught that and think that, our faith life is impaired. We can't rise up above that. Because one will not fight the will of God. If you've been taught that that's the will of God for your life, why would you want to fight against it? 
And so when you've been taught that, you've been misinformed, you have a misconcept of the father heart and fatherhood of God and the healing provision that was made, then all of a sudden your faith life can't work to attain anything above that. I'm just accepting that. And you'll hear people talk like that. And you know why? They won't rise above it because they believe that that's what they have. That's what they should have because that's what God wants them to have. And that information, misinformation, leaves them in that state. If they have misconceived ideas concerning His love for them, His care for them, and His concern for their lives in every aspect, then that's what happens to their faith life. They can't rise up above that. Secondly, notice I use the word strive. I want to give you quickly a definition before we close. The word strive. Paul says, I am pressing toward the mark. He was striving for this. And it means this, to make efforts. It means to use exertions. It means to endeavor with earnestness. It means to labor hard. It means to do one's best. Paul was saying, I am doing my best to attain to God's best. I'm putting forth energy, exerting myself. In endeavors, in order to achieve God's best, I am working, I am laboring hard, using diligence, persevering application to attain to God's best. So come along with me. Let us strive together to attain to God's best. On the other side of that, the word strive means this, and it's found in Jude 3. You don't have to turn to it. It's found in Jude 3, and you'll remember the scripture because it says this. We are to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Remember that, that scripture? We are to do what? To contend. The word contend means to strive. Strive means to contend. And here is the definition. It means to struggle in opposition. It means to battle or to fight or to strive against, such as temptation. So there is a striving for the mastery. There's a striving against opposition. There's using effort towards the things of God. There's using effort and energy against the forces that are opposing us. Striving for one thing, striving against another thing. When you got saved, to put it in a nutshell, all the powers of darkness broke loose. Coming at you in every way imaginable. In your flesh, religious people, opposition, maybe in your own family unit. Everything coming against you, opposing you, not wanting you to attain to God's best. But your desire on the inside is to attain to God's best. And so you begin your walk of faith. And if you're at a level of 30, beloved, don't be satisfied. Thank God you've arrived at that. But press on, strive against those forces of opposition and strive for the mastery. Contend for the faith. It's worth fighting for. The Apostle Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. It is a fight. He told Timothy. And then in the second Timothy, he said this. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have attained. And henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Beloved, those were just some of the things that, that represent God's best for our lives. If you're at 30-fold, believe me. Don't let anybody look down upon you. But you know what? Don't stay there. Use all that you need to be whole. Use all that you need to be well. But you know what? Have high ambitions in God. Begin to set your sights up high. 
Let all the murmuring, all the complaining, all the discontent, all the doubt, all the unbelief around you run off you like water off a duck's back. And press toward that mark. And those that tell you that it's, it's not real, it's not attainable, show them what the Word says. It's attainable. It depends on me. It depends on you. All things are possible. Tim to believeth, I'm a believer, not a doubter. Let's all stand. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.